Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode here of the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, the Reverend Ben Sternke, and I am here with Bishop Todd Hunter again. Good morning, Ben. Good this morning like to volume you. Volume three. Are we three into this now? We're three into this, and nice. so like you know, last time we established that it was a tradition. Now I don't know what I don't know what we call it now. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a regular <laughs> a trend. A trend, yeah, a regular conversation. Um, and as we've been mentioning, uh, we're spending these first few episodes um, just talking with you, Bishop, about um, C4SO, the the history, the story, your story. We started with the first episode. The second episode is a bit more about the. Uh, the story of C4SO's genesis as a church planting movement. So if you haven't heard those two, um, this one will build on those two. I'd encourage you to go back uh, and listen uh, once again to those two things. Uh, But today we want to expand on that or continue from that and talk a bit today about the mission of our diocese as it exists today. So the mission, why we exist as a diocese, um, what particular emphases uh, are, are present among us and kind of what the vision is that flows from that story that you've shared over the last couple episodes uh, into how we exist today uh, as a diocese. Um, so anyway, so I thought I would just take some of what we have on our website. Obviously, every yeah. you know, website has a statement of mission, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but just ask you to expand a bit on kind of what, what, uh, what we wrote there and um, who we are as a diocese. Does that sound like a good place to start to you? Yeah, happy to do it. <laughs> okay. Dig in. All right, so uh, the first thing is, um, as a diocese, we want to establish beachheads, establish beachhead, beachheads of Jesus' person, word, and power in the midst of a struggling humanity. I wonder, uh, Todd, if you could expand a little bit on what you mean by beachheads and yeah. what it means to establish beachheads. I mean, that language is Maybe familiar to some of us, but um, maybe it's new to other people. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you could expand on that. So what I have in mind there is that churches, as we would normally call them, here I use the the phrase beachheads just to be like intentionally provocative, to be intentionally imaginative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So lots of uh, our listeners would have heard me teach on Matthew 1, 14 and 15 and about how Jesus was deeply aware of arising within the divine narrative and saying that the time is fulfilled in me, the kingdom of God is at hand. So we, you know, lots of people have heard me talk about that. What I don't talk about as much, but I think is equally important, is Jesus is also aware that he was emerging in the midst of a deeply struggling humanity Hmm. for whom the great philosophers that preceded Jesus had not in in any way repaired humanity the religion as um, uh, the Jewish religion, as it would have been experienced among Jesus's contemporaries, the enormous fights between Pharisees and Sadducees and the Qumran sect and, you know, the Essenes, uh, the Herodians, the Zealots. Um, So in a sense, religion was no help unless you just picked one of those tribes and decided to hate everybody else. Um, (laughs) There was ethnic tension with Samaritans. I mean, humanity was deeply struggling. 
And so Jesus is simultaneously aware of his di- divine connection to the Father while being um, equally aware of his connected to this his connectedness to this deeply broken and struggling and crying out uh, humanity. Hmm. Um, if we were to think of the you know the basic biblical motif of exile, yeah, and I think this has been a, a large part of Tom Wright's work, although I shouldn't dare to speak for him is, you know, Tom is always saying that though Israel was back in the land, they were still in many ways in exile. Right. So that's kind of a Wrightian way of putting it. But I think Jesus just would have noticed that Second Temple Judaism, or if we want to call it first century Palestine, um, that humanity was deeply broken and confused and and somewhat hopeless. Hmm. So then Jesus emerges into that scene, as does his movement. So what I think I'm trying to playfully get at here with the word beachhead, it might not be the the best word. We could maybe say something like a missional community or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what I'm trying to get us to see and and uh, sort of sneak up with that word beachhead is that um, nowhere did Jesus say, go plant churches. Mm-hmm. Now that might sound nutty for someone like me who started my first church at 23 and has been involved in church right. planning now for you know 41 years. Right. And I'm so of course I'm deeply committed to church planning. So again, this is meant to be like provocative. It's meant to be an imaginative exercise. Mm. Um where we just say, well, then if if Jesus didn't mean go plant churches in the way we might think of, you know, go plant churches today, yeah. um, what did he mean? And I think he meant go make groups of people who carry on my kingdom message and who, uh, as the missiologists say, announce and demonstrate and embody who Mm -hmm. I am and what I've been teaching and demonstrating about the kingdom Hmm. and that we carry that on. So then if you look at, I think then this makes good sense of the Great Commission. And I love the way Eugene Peterson gets this in the message where he has Jesus say, um, Go train people in this way of life. So can you hear how, I I think if we played word association and said church, just out on the street somewhere in any of our cities, if we just said church, we would go a very long way, maybe thousands of people before we heard back a place where people are trained in the Jesus life. Right. Right. Like training, right? Like agreeing to doctrine might be there, going to church might be there, giving might be there, volunteering might be be giving there, um, might be there. But but if we just say church and try to stuff the Jesus movement into that, it's not always axiomatic. It's not mm. intuitive. It doesn't just automatically happen. Mm. But if we say Jesus movement, then, and I don't mean the 60s Jesus movement, if we, if we say <laughs> yeah. the movement of Jesus, yeah. we then can figure out what church is based on that. And so that's yeah. what I'm trying to do with the word beachhead is just get us to think these things were planting that we call churches, they're meant to train people in the way of life of Jesus, or uh, or he says, instruct them in the practices mm. that I have given you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, these words we all love, and I'll be with you. And that's like a highly relational term, right? That's yeah. That takes it out of like church as institution and resituates it in church as the uh, modern movement of Jesus that's now 2,000 years old 
And so then we go into communities and I'm trying to find a different word. We go into communities to, uh, let's just say plant communities of the kingdom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then, uh, then, you know, the whole idea of a beachhead is a place from which you then um, expand. So it's a mm-hmm. bad term in terms of warfare, but in the way I'm using it, um, you sort of, you situate yourself in a community and then f- as a community of Christ, and then from that situatedness, you mm-hmm. seek to do good in the community. So that's yeah. what I mean by beachheads. Yeah. Uh, so I hear you saying, you know, Jesus emerges into struggling humanity um, and as a human himself too, right? Yes. I, I, there's incarnational themes here where he comes as God, but he also comes as human, right? Um, and uh, to establish this beachhead. And I hear some of some of the language there that is is trying to get underneath what we mean by church planting. Correct. So by saying Jesus never asked us to plant churches, you're not necessarily saying. Uh, that we should not establish 501c3 organizations no, and not at all, do branding right. and have a website right. and have a worship service. But it is a way of saying we can't just do that. Right. Right? Like we can't just assume, oh, yeah, we know what a church is. It's a, it's a, it's a group of people that meet in a building. They have a website. You know, they have a 501c3 mm-hmm. organization. They do right. worship services. Like we have to get underneath that and say, right. well, what are we, like in all of that, what are we doing really? Right. right, and so we're seeking to establish these beachheads of, um, and this is the second thing I'd love for you to expand on a little bit of Jesus' word, person, and power. And I guess you, yeah. you expanded on it a little bit when you said like this is a relational thing that we're doing with each other and with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But um, but you know why? What is it about Jesus? I don't know. Is there something about those three words, for example, that that come together for you? Yeah. Um, that define the quality of these communities. Um, in an yeah. important way for C4SO. Yes, and you're, and you're right about that, about that, Ben, because obviously in Acts and in the letters of Paul, you do see churches being planted. Sure, sure, um, yeah, yeah. So yes, of course, uh, no one would ever accuse C4SO of not being interested in church planning. Right. What I was trying to do in this little vision statement is, as you say, give it a both a underlying meaning and yeah. a transcendent meaning, like where do mm-hmm. ch- where do churches arise from in this story, and yes. and what is their purpose? And yes. we can get to that more in a minute. So I think what I mean to say in his person, word, and power is that um, how did Jesus explicate the kingdom? Uh, what were his modes of explanation? Hmm. And they were those things: how he conducted himself. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say yeah. what I hear him saying. Yeah. Uh, the son can't do anything on his own, but only as the father directs. So there was a way that he carried himself. And I frequently think of like the way he carried himself with tenderness with the woman at the well, mm. the way he carried himself as he's kissed on the cheek by Judas, the way he carries himself mm. in arrest and mock trial, the way he carried himself at Levi's house and yeah. or went to uh, you know, a sinner's house to have dinner. So there was a way in which he carried himself that isn't merely moral, it's explicative. Yeah. It has explanational power yes. to how he carried himself. Yeah. We're, um, I'm thinking of, you know, we're preaching through the Sermon on the Mount right now uh-huh. uh, in our parish. Um, and uh, um, one of the things, I think Willard initially pointed this out in the, in the Divine Conspiracy, he said, one of the things we forget about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's Jesus saying these things. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. he actually embodies mm-hmm. kind of the things that he is teaching people. Right. 
Um, yeah. And it's easy to forget that, but it, it's really important to 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 remember that. And so part of the way that, you know, in Matthew 5, like 17 through 20, I think it is, where Jesus says, I, I've come to fulfill the law. Right. Part of what that means is that he embodies what God's intention was for right. humanity the whole time. Yes. Um, and so I, I hear you saying that. So that's the person part of it, where we actually, we look at Jesus and we don't, we don't just listen to the words that he speaks, but we look at the person that he is yeah. um, in the Gospels, but also among us. Um, yes, you know, through the yeah, Holy I forgot Spirit. to say it, but you're right, Ben. I, I frequently say that Jesus, so in my mind, I'm now picturing the Garden of Eden. Jesus mm. is humanity as God intended. Mm. And then I picture um, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Jesus is Israel as God intended. Right. And that's what he precisely right. means when he says, I'm the fulfillment of Torah. Yes. And then he's also the church, I would say, you know, in yeah. quotes, he's the church as God intended. Yes. And, and again, that's what connects us to Matthew 28. As you go out and make these beachheads, or we need a different word, uh, as you go out and make these communities of the king, yeah, um, train them in the way of life you've seen me live. Yes. And, and pass on all the things that I've instructed you and all the practices that we've learned together. And don't worry, I'll be with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so see that that person connects to presence. Does that make sense? Yes. Like you're right. Yes. The um, Sermon on the Mount can sometimes just live as sort of a, a beautiful piece of literature within Western moral theory or something, right. you know, pretty, um, pretty words. Yeah. As Willard called them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, there's something really important about Jesus's per- you're right. So the person who's saying these words, but then that gets us to the next word. He is saying words. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so when I say person, I've explained that when I say word, I mean the totality of Jesus's teaching. Mm-hmm. So whether he's implicitly teaching with the woman at the well or the woman caught in sin or his conversations with Nicodemus or whatever, or whether he's straightforwardly teaching like the Sermon on the Mount or the Olivet Discourse, or whether he's teaching in parables, certainly Jesus was a rabbi. It's not, it's not for no reason that people thought of him as a rabbi because he was teaching. He was right. explaining, just like yes. other Jewish rabbis were explaining their Jewishness and their point of view, Jesus was teaching uh, what he thought was important. Yes. Yeah, and teaching, uh, kind of giving us, I mean, going back to those themes of, of Torah, right, as, you know, one of the things that's happening in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount is this recapitulation of Moses, right? So Jesus yes. is the new Moses, and mm-hmm. he is speaking the words of God to us. And I think there's a, a reclamation of that um, that's been, you know, the spiritual formation movement, um, I'm thinking here again of Willard. I think of him a lot, uh, as you do, I know, as well. But I'm thinking here of him saying that, you know, we, the, the, by and large, the Western church has not taken Jesus seriously as a yeah. teacher. Correct. We've looked at him as like, oh, thank you for the atonement. Mm-hmm. We're glad you did that thing on the cross. Um, but, you know, what was he doing? Why do we have the Gospels then? You know, why aren't the Gospels just a few sentences long, which just say, here's what Jesus did for you. Be right. thankful for that. <laughs> you know, receive. Yeah, it's a really tragic... Um a really tragic accident of mid 20th century um, theology yeah. and churchmanship yeah. that Jesus's teacher got owned by the liberals right? and Jesus's savior right. got owned by the evangelicals and the fundamentalists. And yeah, it's a, it's a tragic separation that was yeah. never meant to, meant to be. Yeah. So then that last word there, Ben, of power. So we're trying to establish beachheads of Jesus's person. We've talked about that, his, po- mm-hmm. his word. And by power, 
I simply mean to say that his deeds of power were also explanatory. So it's mm. not just random that Jesus stops the funeral procession of a widow's only son. He is saying um, in that deed what Revelation puts for explicitly that when the kingdom is finally come and there's a new he- consummated and yeah. there's a new heavens and the new earth, there'll be no more pain, no more crying, no more shame, no more brokenness. Yeah. So just think how how evocative that scene is. A widow, mm. so that means her husband's dead. Right. It's her only son yeah. who's died. So, yeah. you, I mean, you can't imagine, hardly imagine any more deep or profound human pain. Yeah. And, and his healing of it is explanatory. It's not merely explanatory. It's yeah. also love. It's like it's a positive expression of love and service towards that yes. woman and her son, but it's also explanatory. Right. This is why, you know, we have that saying, well, if you don't believe my words, at least believe my at works. At least believe the works, right. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm imagining when I say that. And I'm imagining communities, and I know this is all way easier said than done, but I'm imagining myself and I'm imagining communities in which we're trying to take on the way of life that Jesus gave us in his person. Um, we're trying to understand what he taught and teach what he taught. And then we're also learning to try to do the things that he did, which is why, you know, I've always had an in- emphasis on C4SO on the person and work of the spirit. Yes. It's not because I want us to be charismatic like I was in the vineyard, or it's not like I want us to be charismatic like sort of Holy Trinity Brompton is in England or something. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got nothing to do with mid 20th century charismatic renewal in the mainline church. It's got, in a sense, nothing to do with turn of the century Pentecostalism. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with trying to be a Trinitarian Christian and yes. to take serious the sending of the Spirit to the church. Yes. And so then to take serious Galatians 5, that he he transforms us, to take serious Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 and um, um, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, take those kind of passages serious. Like, what does it mean to be a person of the Spirit? And how do I yeah. welcome his authority, his power, his gifts, and his transformation? And then not only just how do I welcome it, so because it's never about our personal piety, but it's about how do I welcome it for the sake of others? Like, how do I welcome this authority, this power, this transformation, these gifts? And then how do I then use that uh, for the good of others the way Jesus did? The C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight is a brief segment of the podcast where we highlight the specific ministry that we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. This week we're praying for St. James Anglican Church in San Jose, California, led by Cindy Stansbury, and she has joined us to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray specifically for them. Cindy, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Thank you. Like I said, it's nice to see you. Yeah, yeah, yes. We are, uh, as we're recording this audio, we're looking at each other uh, on a video call. Um, and so it is nice to see each other in this uh, time of pandemic when we don't get to uh, do that uh, at the normal times, clergy conference, all of that kind of thing. Um, so Cindy, let me ask you this. What's one thing that you're encouraged by right now? Um, I'm encouraged by the ways that life is continuing in the life of St. James. Um, we got to have a wedding this summer. Mm. We um, have a baby being baptized in a couple weeks. Oh, and great. we have somebody who came to Christ recently that I'm 
engaging in catechism, so now she can kind of understand what it is that she just dove into. Um, so yeah. we'll be looking forward to an, ad an adult baptism in a couple months. Um, That's beautiful. God willing. Yes. Uh, we started doing communion um, uh, by communion kits sent home that mm. were consecrated from the first, like, second, first or second week. Okay. We've been in shelter in place since March. Yeah. Um, and that has actually really helped. So I'm encouraged by how much the congregation has continued to participate, receive communion together, and worship together um, as Great. in the ways that we're able to. That's wonderful. What's uh, one challenge that you're facing right now? How to have even strong relationships continue and grow without any of the connective tissue um, mm. that normally helps relationships grow. Yes. With any of the unstructured open times to chat talk, and talk to each other one-to-one -one or in small groups standing around fellowshipping together. And we have strong relationships. We have community groups that are continuing. But um, right now, everyone's just getting really tired. Yes. You know, it's always the layers that kill you. Um, <laughs> you know, if it's just the pandemic, that would be one thing. But it's a pandemic, yeah. and it's the politics. And yeah. for us, it's the fires and then the smoke. Yes. Yeah. And um, being in one of the most restrictive counties in the nation, and just like, you know, everything is so constrained and confined and frustrating and exhausting. And everyone's working from home or they're stuck in the house with lots of people all day long. Yeah. We've had internet problems. There's just, mm. mm -hmm. so that's way too long of an answer. Um, the shorter <laughs> version of that answer is uh, the challenge is fatigue and, yes. and, the, and the both reality and danger of disconnection from each other when we're not able to see each other and we don't have the connective tissue of, yes. of time together. Yes, in yeah, unstructured we're feeling ways. some of that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, Cindy, how can we pray for you and for St. James this season? Um, pray that we would continue to find ways to not only maintain community with each other, but also build community that... Um, that this time of being online would also be a time of outreach to people who wouldn't normally mm. come to church. We do have okay. some of that happening. Mm. And then, again, just restoration and yes. strengthening and um, energy in the yes. face of fatigue. Okay. All right. Thanks for joining us, Cindy. Uh, friends, to find out more about St. James Anglican Church or to contribute to their work, check out the link in the show notes. So Jesus' presence among us, uh, his person, his example, and his teaching, they're not meant to be things that we, in our own strength, have to just, have, just you know, do, give it your best shot, you know, just, yeah. just try your hardest right. to follow Jesus. No, we also have the power of right. God through the presence of the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit to say, actually, God equips us and empowers right. us to do the things that he is directing us to do, yeah. um, and, and it, it becomes a different kind of life. That yeah. we're living, where we are actually flowing with the power of God um, as mm -hmm. it goes forth from our communities for the sake of others. Yeah, there's a holism or a synergy there or mm -hmm. a um, integration or something where yeah. it's easy to fall off that fence where we 
we kind of think, uh, I forget who this comes from, that uh, a great um, definition of functional atheism is the thought that nothing good's going to happen here unless I make it happen. I don't, I don't <laughs> know where right. I got that, yeah. uh, but it stuck with me for decades. And so you're right, Ben, it's easy to fall off that fence to get into kind of like, we would never say this on a theological pop quiz, but in our own humanness, we can act as if what we do is differentiating and we kind of forget the Holy Spirit, mm. or we can sort of maximize the Holy Spirit as if human agency doesn't matter. Right. And yeah. the testimony of of both the, the Gospels and, and the, the letters of the New Testament is that there's an interactivity between human agency and the yes. ultimate determinative agency of the Trinitarian God. Yeah. So, yeah, living appropriately with agency, again, can be easier said than done. But we mm -hmm. want to try to not fall off that fence. Yes. Uh, another Willard quote comes to mind. You, you cannot do it alone, but it will not be done for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That there yeah. is a, a mm -hmm. agency and a partnership, um, right. a participation uh, together involved in that. Well, that's great. That that flows into the next part uh, that I'd love to ask you about. Um, um, we say that we want to create a family of churches that ever more perfectly lives into God's intention for the church. Now, we've been talking a bit about this, right? That word beachheads, and we're trying to get underneath the, just the institutional externalities of the church, and underneath it, what is God's intention for the church? Mm -hmm. By finding our core meaning as ambassadors, embassies, or outposts of the rule and reign of God. Maybe outposts, maybe that's... The, that's the that's word the, I was looking for instead there it of is, beachheads. There. Thank it's, you. It's just in the next <laughs> sentence. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I wonder if you could just say a bit more about that, like God's God's intention for the church. I think that's an evocative phrase. Um, yeah, just say a bit more about that. Yeah, I think what I mean to say is if we just had a blank whiteboard and we wrote mm -hmm. the word church on there, we can't assume that uh, that we would all... Um, automatically know what that word means. And, and especially mm -hmm. many people today who would call themselves uh, Christian or religious, um, it's one of those words, almost like the word God. You put the right. word God up there yeah. and you just kind of think you know what that means. Right. You know? So yeah. churches, uh, churches like that. So I think what I'm getting at here, Ben, to use an, an analogy is, let's say someone who had never heard the concept of time Right. So like it's, you know, now 1130 instead of 11 o'clock or it's Wednesday instead of Tuesday. I mean, this is obviously not possible, but just think about somebody who had never heard of or could define time yeah. and they find a Rolex. Well, it's pretty, it's shiny, right. might even have diamonds on it. Yeah. But if you don't understand what it's for, it's actually kind of useless or meaningless. Um, yeah. Remember that old movie, uh, The Gods Must Be Crazy, yeah. where you know there's that little missionary airplane and it banks to turn and a Coke bottle rolls out into a village. Uh -huh. And to the villagers, it wasn't a Coke bottle. They'd never seen a Coke bottle. They had no idea right. what it was. So I yeah. don't remember it exactly, but I think some of them wanted to make it into a tool. The kids wanted to make it into a toy. Yeah. Others thought it was a God that fell from heaven, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and I think church can sometimes uh, be like that. So hmm. what I'm wanting to do in this is to get us uh, in, I forget who wrote this book, but there's a popular book out right now called in the business community called First Ask Why. And so I'm sorry yes. for the author. Simon Sinek. Yeah, I was going to say it, but I was afraid yeah. to say it wrong. Okay. I think that's how you say it. Anyway. So um, 
Well, I actually wasn't sure it was him as well, but <laughs> but now that you say it, it is. Yes. And and I just think first ask why gets to things like purpose and intentionality mm-hmm. that we don't first ask what or how. We have yes. to first ask why. And in biblical terms, that means why God did you create? Mm-hmm. Um, so why is there something rather than nothing? That's too philosophical for a podcast. Um, you know, why is there a people like Israel? Um, mm-hmm. And then these others, you know, the ethne, as the New Testament calls it. Why are these, these others, these Gentiles? Mm-hmm. And then what is the meaning of Israel within humanity and within the Gentiles? And so when I think like this, um, Ben, I'm always thinking in terms of narrative. So like I, I literally picture in my mind the Genesis creation accounts, um, God creating humans and giving them meaning. Mm. And then I flash forward in my mind always to Genesis 12 and the calling of Abraham and the creation of Israel and the definition that you are to be a blessing on the earth. And then I have fast forward to the John the Baptist Jesus movement moment mm-hmm. where John the Baptist sums all of that long history of Israel up yep. and says, I'm the pivot. I'm not even worthy to untie this guy's sandals. I'm baptizing you for repentance, but this guy's going to baptize you with the kingdom mm-hmm. and the spirit. And then I f- fast forward to, as we've already said, to Revelation 22. And so it's that story for me that gives meaning to the word church. Right. Now, to put a finer, more populist point on that, um, like I grew up United Methodist. Well, if your sense then of church is uh, we're sort of the revivalist Episcopalians uh, of the late, uh, what would it be, 1800s? I'm forgetting now. Mm-hmm. Late 1700s, I'm forgetting. So forgive me for my history. But, but, but my point is not so much the history is if your sense of church is, well, I'm a certain sort of Baptist, Right. Or think of our dear friends in the Presbyterian Church. I don't know how they keep track these days of the alphabet soup that is so many brands of Presbyterian. And of course, right. I'm not I'm not mocking them. I'm just saying what can so easily happen is what, that there, uh, our sense of church is I'm a particular form of Presbyterian or yes. I'm a particular form of Anglican or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is just way too narrow. That cannot hold the purposes of God and the pain of humanity. All that can hold is a momentary, a moment, a, a point in time that was marked by doctrinal division, mm-hmm. and it can hold that. And it, and for the people who were fighting over that doctrine, let's say women in ministry or whatever it might be, the rapture, whatever it might be, to those people in that moment, it seems really important. So the division mm-hmm. happens, but then we've reduced what it means to be the church. And again, I don't mean to be unkind, but it's absurd. Like you cannot reduce the church to a brand that contains a moment in church history over a doctrine. And so I'm always trying to bring us back to like, I don't know, something like roots, mm-hmm. essence, yes. purpose, yes, and then define church around that. And we all just happen to do it as Anglicans. Right. But Anglican is not our first... Um, point of identity in the same way a lot of people are saying today you know partisan politics like republican democrat independent mm-hmm. whatever should not be our first point of personal reference well right. i think neither should denominations yeah i think our first point of reference is we're followers of jesus um trying to do what he said be trained in his way of life be instructed in his practices live the jesus life we just happen to happily do it as anglicans but yesterday yes. i had lunch with uh, a brand of a presbyterian 
um, another guy who's kind of independent um, and a couple of Anglicans. And yeah. we just had a delightful yeah. lunch. Never, never sort of came up what brand we were, but everybody was in their brand and kind of happy in their brand. But it wasn't a, it wasn't the first way of sorting. Yes. The first way of sorting was we love Jesus. And we love what he's up to on the earth. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So it's it's not wrong to have those things. And we, we actually can't just create it ex nihilo, right? We can't just create right. some sort of Christian identity that does not reference yeah. history because that's that's where we get all this stuff. Right. And so it's not wrong to be an Anglican or to be an Anglican Christian or to even have that as part of my identity. Mm-hmm. But uh, it cannot, my Christian, that's more incidental. Uh, yes. It's not fundamental yes, to my Christian identity yeah. um, that, that we have to get. Um, and so I, I hear you saying, like, in that phrase, like, God's purpose for the church, you're always just trying to get underneath the surface of, again, some, some of the external, visible distinctions between, you know, different kinds of Christians, but always trying to get underneath it to say, what, what is the actual whyness of, yes. of what we're doing here and why we exist? Yeah, if we yeah. try to step out of that church history, as you say, all we do is become a denomination of one. Yeah, I mean, exactly. an independent church is just a denomination of one, right? right. With its own yeah. history that explains why it's independent. Right. That's no yeah. different yeah. than the Presbyterian's explanation yeah. of why there's now whatever it is, six or seven versions yeah. of yeah. Presbyterianism. So yeah, yes. we, it can't be done. Um, all right. Well, uh, maybe to wrap things up, uh, I want to ask you one more question about... Um, uh, we write that we quote Elizabeth O'Connor here on the website. Mm-hmm. We want to foment the journey inward and the journey outward, yeah. which expands for us. Um, and this is a funny, uh, fun phrase here: the comeness of followership yeah. and transformation, and the sentness of mission. Yeah. I wonder if you can talk a, b- a bit about why both of these are important: the comeness of followership, discipleship, mm-hmm. and, and transformation, and also the sentness of mission. And why they're interrelated? Why are why are they mutually reinforcing? Um, why are they both important to kind of hold together? Yeah. So again, you know, this will be a theme, and y'all, as you're all getting to know me on this podcast, that um, I I'm not a technical professional theologian. I mean, I've obviously cared about Bible and theology for more than forty years, and I study it, but I'm actually not a professional theologian. I tend to think sort of imaginatively, narratively, pastorally, missionally. And so what I have in mind there is I like I literally hear Jesus saying, come follow me. Hmm. Many times in the synoptics and in John. Then I hear him saying, even as the Father sent me, so I send you. Mm-hmm. So that's the comeness. Come follow me. Yes. Come be with me. Come apprentice yourself to me. You become my mathetes, I'll be your rabbi. Come, that's the comeness. Come mm-hmm. be with me. That um, that's central to discipleship. It, again, people might be surprised to hear me say this, but central to discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus is not the spiritual disciplines. Central to it is the presence of a person hmm. and us just arranging the affairs of our life to be in the presence of this person. And the spiritual disciplines just help us do that. So silence, solitude, prayer, study, fasting, whatever, they just help us um, notice being in the presence of Jesus. Hmm. So that's the comeness that it, 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 you're yeah. right, is so important to my imagination. But equally are the sending passages. So yeah. I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I believe it's um, Luke 10 and Luke 11, where you have the sending of the 12 and then the 70. You've got the sending passage in uh, Matthew, that I think is Matthew 10. Mm-hmm. Um 
I, off the top of my head, I can't remember Mark or John, but you've got these sending passages where Jesus yeah. sends his people out to do the deeds of the kingdom and to carry on his mission. And the most poignant one for me, I, I kind of imagine, I could spend my whole life thinking about this, <laughs> Jesus breathing on the disciples and saying, receive the Holy Spirit, even as the Father sent me, so I send you. Yeah. That's just, or Luke 24, wait mm -hmm. in Jerusalem for power from on high. And mm -hmm. when you receive it, you're going to be sent into the uttermost parts of the earth. Yeah. So that's my imagination for that, Ben, is how do we mm. live into that comeness of come be with Jesus as apprentices? Yeah. And then how do we live into our sentness as, as ambassadors of the kingdom? So the other word I like a lot besides outpost or beachhead is we're creating embassies yeah. of the kingdom. Yeah. These churches, these local churches that we're creating in C4SO, they're actually embassies of the kingdom and all of mm. us, not just bishops, priests, and deacons, but everybody, we're all ambassadors of the king and his kingdom. Yeah. That, that's my imagination because that's, that's alive, that's active, that has a sense of animation to it. Mm. Where again, if you think of church of, well, we're just the highly, uh, I don't know, highly into predestined, the nation church. Well, now you're just sitting there with this mental agreement. Yeah. There's nothing that animates that, that activates yeah. it, that yeah. you know, helps you sort of live that for the sake of others. Mm -hmm. So the way I often picture this is like pedals on a bicycle going round and round, yeah. that these two things work together, that they're interrelated, they're mutual, mutually re reinforcing. And so I sometimes say, Ben, that I believe there are aspects of formation that are only available within the human pain, injustice, and brokenness of the world. Hmm. That there are aspects of formation that you're not gonna get to in silence and solitude. You're not gonna get yeah. to them in prayer and Bible study and yeah. stuff. Yeah. But when you're standing in front of human pain, like for me, this is just the way I'm wired, I cannot actually stand to see human beings in deep pain. Like if I see somebody bleeding or something, I don't care about my own blood. I don't care my own pain. I have a high tolerance for pain. I don't care if I'm bleeding somewhere. It doesn't bother me at all. But if I were to see you mm -hmm. in some sort of deep, profound pain, I literally would get sick to my stomach. <laughs> wow. So I have, to then, I have to then work on my inner person about how can I stay present to this pain? Mm -hmm. Or for some of us, profound pain scares us. Yeah. Um, like I get scared actually at issues of homelessness hmm. or immigration or racial issues. Like, like literally they scare me. Like, I don't know. They seem so overwhelming. I don't know what to do. So then it would be easier to, it would be easier to just split from them to have nothing to do with them. So then see, I have to work on my inner person to ask myself, how do I yeah. keep my face in this pain? Yeah. So that's what I mean. There's there, yeah. you're, it's a, it is a mutually reinforcing interrelated thing, like pedals yeah. on a bicycle. Like yeah. my inner formation gets me out to the world. When I'm in the world, I recognize my inadequacies, which drives yeah. me back to my inner yeah. life. And, and my vision is that that would go round and round such that each time we go round those cycles, we come out of them a, a different, better sort of ambassador of the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. That's a really great way of putting it. <clears throat> that there, are, there's a, there's some kinds of formation that we don't get unless we're on mission. Yeah. Um, and there's you know some kinds of mission we never get sent on until we do the, some work of formation. Right. Um, yeah. And so we we need both of them. Um, that's been that's been great. I, I appreciate this. Uh, getting to hear a bit more of your heart about the mission of C4SO. 
Totally happy to be here. Always happy to see your face. I wish when we were doing this, we could see the faces of all of our colleagues. That would be nice. That yeah. would make it better. But I guess this is what a podcast it's, is. Yeah, so yeah. It's it is just a digital is. file. Yeah, everybody yeah. gets to listen to it. Um, all right. Thank well, you, friends, Ben. Yeah. Friends, we're going to go uh, from here. We're going to start talking about the values uh, of C4SO. Um, and clergy, if you are interested in getting a preview of these values, uh, Bishop Todd is going to be talking with us uh, this week. I think I've got the dates correct here. Um, I think it's going to be this week. Uh, September 30th is the objective date, and I think this uh, episode should come out on the 28th. So September 30th, uh, C4SO together. Um, Todd, you're going to be speaking with us about the values uh, that, we, that we hold together. Anything you want to say about it? Just to say what I'm trying to get at is that we have a lot of lovely diversity in C4SO and everybody Mm -hmm. knows it. You know, we have Mm -hmm. people highly enthusiastic about women uh, being ordained as priests, others who are, I'm not sure, others who are maybe less than I'm unsure. We have high church, low church, you know, we have different sorts of music, different sorts of programming. So we've got a lot of lovely diversity that I'm happy for. Um, I think I want to ask and answer the question um, what are the values that give all that diversity coherence? Like what, yes. what is it that holds us, holds all that lovely diversity together? All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, if you'd like to register and you're not registered yet, you can go to c4so.org slash events. And uh, we're going to be covering those values uh, in a bit more detail in the weeks to come. Um, so stay tuned. Thank you, Ben. Lots of love to all you listeners. Yep. Peace. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.